Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of the Ecom Show. And today I'm here with Patrick uh, Rin, who is the CEO and founder of Waterlust. And uh, this is an eco-responsible clothing company with a unique uh, voice. If you go to their website, you will see their pop-up. You will learn that one parrotfish can poop 1,000 pounds of beet sand per year, which was a surprising fact for me. But besides, you can see they have more than 2,000 reviews now. And also, they've been featured in Bloomberg, The Wall Street Journal, EcoWatch, and uh, Newsweek. So very interesting brand. And uh, personally, personally, I also really like these eco-friendly brands. I think that's something important, something uh, we also want to support with this podcast. So, hey, Patrick, how are you today? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Daniel. And and uh, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed the the parrotfish pop up fact. That's a it's a pretty stunning fact that a lot of people aren't aware of. Yeah. So let's uh, start actually here. Um, so you have I think you have a unique voice on the website. I also checked other parts of the website, and and it's very lighthearted. There are there are some puns, some you know some jokes. Um, is it something you crafted over the years or, or do you have someone in the team or how does it really work? Also, how purposeful is it? Yeah, uh, we do it all in-house. We do all of our, our copywriting and marketing stuff in-house and we try to keep it lighthearted by design um, strategically uh, because ultimately our business is all about driving uh, solutions to the environmental crisis, which is a fairly heavy and mostly depressing topic and psychologically it can just be a big downer to always be kind of negative and focusing on how scary a lot of the things in the environment are right now um so we try to kind of counter that by having a positive and you know uplifting and fun voice just to keep that education process that uh customer journey more lighthearted, and we find that that's more helpful just to keep people engaged and and pushing forward. So yeah, we do that strategically. Yeah. I really like a saying that I recently heard, if you want to achieve serious things, you cannot be serious all the time. And I, I I really like that. And when it comes to your, this brand voice, so by now you have uh, copywriters or certain creatives who come up with this or, or you rather, brainstorm about it together how what's the creative process for um it's it's pretty collaborative with our team um it it really depends on the project and we'll we'll get together and we'll we'll just brainstorm ways to you know what voice would do we want to have how do we want to frame things um we recently um, a couple weeks ago we launched a new product uh which was uh pairing and advocating for uh, an animal called a mantis shrimp, which is a really fascinating type of shrimp. They're very 
aggressive um, in, in nature. And so we were like, how do we, we want to try to anthropomorphize this animal. How, what kind of personality would this animal probably have if it was sort of human? And we, we kind of came up with like an alter ego and did some fun social posts uh, where we came up with a whole personality. Um, and, and he was frankly a little bit obnoxious, but it was, mm -hmm. it was sort of fun. And people that are familiar with the species can kind of think, oh yeah, that's, if that was a mantis shrimp were walking around, he probably would act like that. Um, so yeah, the process, it's very collaborative and we, you know, we try to bring our team together, um, on everything and just brainstorm and then whatever idea we're all most excited about kind of floats to the top and, and then that's what we do. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So let's uh, go back in time. I'm curious, when did you start this brand? What was your initial idea? Also, was it your first business or you were already experienced with other businesses? Yeah, it's definitely my my first business. It started. Uh, I was in graduate school. I was doing a PhD in a field called applied marine physics, which is the fancy way of saying studying where water moves around the oceans and how it moves. Mm -hmm. And it was my in my first year of my PhD. PhDs are normally you know four, five, six years. It's a long journey, and. I was sort of just seeing all of this amazing work around me in, in grad school. You get to be exposed to biologists and geologists and atmospheric scientists. And um, it was, I was just sort of in awe of all of the amazing work that was being done around me. And then I also had friends and family uh, back, you know, just non-science community that, um, you know, I'd come home for Thanksgiving or, or having a beer with my friends and be like, Hey, I, you know, I saw this, you know, this was this cool thing that happened at work today. And, I realized there was sort of a disconnect between the general public and the amazing um, scientific community um, that we were working with. So sort of the, the initial idea was to come up with a project to try to help bring these communities together and, and communicate the work that was being done uh, within kind of the scientific community, but bring it to the general you know, population in a way that is more, more fun, more, um, you know, more engaging, um, a, a lot of you think of like science communication and science media oftentimes can be very technical and kind of sometimes a little boring. So it, it really started as just a project for fun to experiment with ways of communicating science in a, uh, in a creative way. And then a few years into it, we were making YouTube videos and Facebook and it was kind of early on a video coming into the internet. YouTube had just kind of come in. Facebook video had just started like around 2012 or so. Instagram was just kind of going. And we started making videos and just connecting with people around the world. And we realized there was a really big audience for this kind of stuff. And people really liked the content we were creating. And then uh, it was around 2014, we started having this realization of like, how can we, how can we connect with people on a stronger level? And what, with media, we often say like, how many times does a person watch a YouTube video twice? You know, you watch it once and then you move on your with your day. Today with TikTok and yeah. Reels, it's even worse. It's just scroll and in one ear out the other. And with education, we we knew that things you need to reinforce ideas in order for people to really understand them. And so we started thinking, how could we take our science conservation messaging and and put it in a format that's more reinforcing and repetitive? and had this idea that clothing was a pretty amazing opportunity for that because every time you put a garment on, it's an opportunity for you to think, you know, if the garment is designed in a specific way, that's very bright, if it's impossible to ignore, 
um, two things kind of happen. The wearer is going to be reminded about what that garment represents and if there's any educational processes they've gone through. And then also their community that sees them wearing it, if it's really bright and fun and, and well-designed, they're going to be like, you know, what is that? And that is an opportunity for conversation and learning community building. Mm -hmm. So we call that concept advocate apparel and we started experimenting it with it in 2015 and it just, it worked really well right out of the gates and pretty how much over. It, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. How was it? Uh, how, how was the market back then? Because it was eight years ago and uh, I guess now, nowadays we have many brands, uh, you know, if you wear that uh, type of clothing that you really represent something and uh you know, status for, for high uh, ticket uh, fashion, let's say, or, or uh, like a subculture, like skaters, let's say, um, but also, as you said, advocate uh, fashion. Um, so you really represent that you, you are an environmentalist and you want to protect nature. But how was it back then, eight years ago? Um, I'm curious, how was the landscape back then? Yeah, it's um, back then. So it was our strongest sort of presence is within sort of like the ocean scuba diving people that are going into the water, doing science, doing field work. And back then there wasn't really anybody that was making the type of clothing that we, we started making, which is bright, fun swimwear that's super versatile. You can wear it in the water or you could wear it to the gym or you can wear it on the couch. Um, and we really were the first business to take animal species and ecosystems and visually represent them in a really bright and fun uh, design um, on a garment like leggings and rash guards and stuff. Um, so we were the first ones to, to really do that. And then if you compare that to today, which is it's really interesting, is now there's, there's many more businesses that are sort of following our lead and doing very similar things. So it, it changed a lot um, from, I, I would say, we kind of came out and proved the concept and and put it out there. And then there's there's almost like a whole niche um, subculture of brands, e-commerce e -commerce brands mostly, um, that are kind of doing similar things now. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And from day one, you decided you that you want to go online or have you tried uh, as a brick and mortar business? Yeah, so we started just e-com and, and that is mostly because it was the most approachable way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have any funding. We didn't, you know, we really were very scrappy um, getting it going. Um, and like our, our lead designer, Laura, she had to like literally make the first products with the sewing machine in our house. So um, really like kind of garage type of stuff. Um, and e-com just provided the most flexible uh, way to do that. And, and it, it's a really great tool for just testing, testing your product out and kind of validating your business and seeing if, if it's worth pursuing um, versus like brick and mortar and wholesale would have required a, a whole lot of upfront investment with, that we didn't have. Um, and we, we weren't even sure, you know, the idea of the products, you know, we, we hoped would do well, but you never really know if the, the market's going to accept them and be excited about them. Um, so e-commerce was was really amazing because it less it let us test the waters um, with relatively little risk and little cost. And then mm -hmm. over the years, we're able to grow and grow. And, and we're actually just getting into B2B, um, like wholesale retail business now. Um, but it's taken us almost, you know, 10 years to do it. But um, 
yeah, econ we really look at as sort of, you know, it's the way we personally shop. And so we want to build the business around the way that we, you know, the way we shop already and, and um, now building in a little bit of, of B2B on the side too, because we realize it's, it's nice, especially after COVID to be able to have your, your products and physical stores for people to touch and experience and, and, you know, mm -hmm. get out of the house and have some fun. Yeah, yeah. So let's come back to this B2B side in a minute. Before that, I'm just curious uh, how the products are actually made, because actually you write a lot on the website about the fabric, but I don't say I fully understand it because <laughs> there are some acronyms as well, like RPET, okay? <laughs> yes, yeah, recycled, so, recycled polyester is okay. RPET or recycled poly, and I can't even pronounce the actual chemical component, but um, yeah, RPET is sort of our primary material we use for our swimwear and that's uh, recycled post-consumer bottles that get recycled uh, in North Carolina here in the U.S. And then uh, so we work with one partner that does that sort of crushing and melting and extruding the mm -hmm. bottles into a fiber. And then we work with a, another mill in North Carolina that then turns uh, that those fibers into fabric. And that's sort of a proprietary fabric that we work on that has great breathability and moisture wicking and, and it's a custom fabric. Um, and so we're, we're, we're not quite vertically integrated as a manufacturer, but we do kind of tightly control every, every step of the process. And that's really important because at the end of the day, I, one thing that makes our products really special is the fabric technology and how it feels on you, how, you know, when you get in the water, how quick it dries, how insulative it is, you know, all these performance characteristics. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's RPT, and then our other kind of primary material is, is just sort of simple uh, organic cotton that we use like for our t-shirts mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Those are things that are not really designed to get wet. And so for those, we can use organic cotton well, um, but for the stuff that is designed to get wet, we found that RPT is, is sort of the best and most environmentally responsible option that's currently out there. That's amazing. So let's uh, go back to the B2B side of things and also your marketing strategy. So as you said, uh, you've been selling these products for roughly 10 years. And what marketing channels do you use or have you used to grow uh, to this level? We use sort of like the, the go-to playbook I think most e-commerce brands use. So, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Google, um, search. Those are sort of like our primary, our primary ones. And then we'll experiment with whatever new channel is emerging. You know, like TikTok is really po popular right now. Um, YouTube has made some interesting moves um, to bring in sort of on-platform shopping. And um, that's been really interesting. Um, so we've been doing some stuff there. But um, the main ones are, are, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Google, and then having like a robust email system, which we use Klaviyo. Um, to kind of continue to engage those those customers after you know they kind of come into the funnel, um, but yeah, those those have been historically our biggest ones, and they kind of continue to be. There's been a lot of ups and downs with iOS updates and and cookies and all the challenges associated with that. But um, we've had to kind of bend with the wind and adjust here and there, but they still continue to perform quite well and and um, yeah. are really important to us. Yeah, yeah. And in your creatives, do you educate the audience? And if you do, how? What's, what's your approach there? 
you know, with all of our, our ads, we try to, you know, not only show the product, of course, that's a huge importance, uh, but we also try to at, at least get a little bit of education in there. And, and we do that for a few reasons. Um, one, like ultimately the mission of our company um, is to promote education and to, and to drive awareness and solutions um, for the environmental crisis. So, um, you know, on an ad, you're always going to get way more impressions than you get conversions. So at the very least, we can get impressions that that contribute to our educational mission. So we try to get, you know, education into our ads as best we can. Um, and it's also reflective of sort of our brand values. So there's definitely a marketing element to that as well. Uh, and then, you know, we obviously show the product. And because each of our products is paired with a, a species or ecosystem or a cause, um, it's really kind of baked into the identity of the of the product. You know, you mm -hmm. kind of can't you know explain what our products are without really getting into you know what they advocate for. And and I had to mention, but each of our products we you know um, donate ten percent of of profits to specific groups that we work with, um, and we we go out and find sort of leaders on that subject. So if we're talking about like coral degradation or whale shark protections, we go find sort of like um, the best science scientists and researchers and educators that are out there form a relationship. And then we work together to, to get their expertise. You know, what, what does the, the general public need to know about this subject? And then we use that information and we get it to our customers through our ads and our Clavio flows and all of our interactions with our customers. And that's probably the most maybe exciting part, I think, of our business is that that relationship we have with these uh, subject matter experts and being able to bring their expertise to our community around the world in a really fun and exciting way. Um, it's it's fun for the people who we collaborate. It's fun for the customers. Uh, and it's, it just makes the work really rewarding and fun for us. Hey, Budai Nation. Welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic. So it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. You have a very good success, a great success to ingrain this uh, environmentalist, you know, mentality and, and education about uh, about marine life in in the products and in your whole business and because many brands i think they fail at this in a way that they just say that we eco-friendly and they even say we donate a percentage and and that's it end of the story but as you said your products are named after different species and i think that's very original and there are other aspects as well so, yeah, I think that's, you know, you, you did a great job with this. I appreciate that. And I think you're bringing up a great point is that, you know, there is there's a huge amount of greenwashing in our industry. And it's so common to see, you know, it's almost become the standard now to have some type of philanthropy um, associated yeah, yeah. with the with the business, which is great. I'm very supportive of that. Um, but a lot of times that philanthropy is very unclear as to like, you know, like, hey, we're donating money to save the oceans. And it's like, but like, how specifically are you doing that? And so transparency and, and getting into the details of what you're funding and why you're funding it is extremely important. And that's where, you know, working with our partners who are, you know, we look at them, they're on the front lines of these issues. And then we try to highlight like, hey, you know, you know, we they use, you know, the shark researchers bought satellite tags this this year with the money that you generated mm -hmm. with these sales. And this is why that's important. 
And by doing that, it keeps the customer engaged on that journey and that and that issue. And at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. We're, we're trying to get the general public to stay engaged and, and interested and excited about all these species and ecosystems. So when it comes time for driving policy changes, um, you need to have an engaged electorate of people that are out there and advocating for them. Um, and so it's it's way more, it's so much more important than just say 10% of profits and there's a check and then out of sight, out of mind. You really have to communicate you know, what this is doing, how it's impacting you know, the species and ecosystems they're supporting. And, and then taking feedback. How can it be better? It's a never-ending process. You know, the issues of last year are different than the issues of this year. So we have to be constantly evolving and changing with that. Yeah, and also being specific where the money goes. As you said, uh, you, you brought up an example, uh, some kind of trackers for sharks or something. Yeah, satellite, satellite trackers. Right. Yeah. 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 So you buy those and uh, maybe you can even tell people the price of those. So the investment needed and people really like this specificity if uh, you can talk about it. And it's not just, you know, 10 percent and the money just goes somewhere and nobody knows that. So, yeah, that's another huge thing. Let's talk about um your PR activity. So you, you, you've been in several uh, journals and, and very well-known uh, Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, Bloomberg. So how could you achieve that? Uh, somebody helped you? Maybe you work with an agency? How, how did you get into those uh, famous journals and newspapers? I would say, so it's probably not for listeners. It's not a very satisfying answer, but just plain luck. Just dumb luck. Um, we've tried, we've tried working with um, with uh, PR firms, and it did not work well for us. We wasted a lot of time and money. We've tried taking it in house, where we tried to engage uh, with different publications, and yeah, we had a little. We actually had more success doing it in house than working with the PR agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, the big wins, like we, like Bloomberg, did a whole video piece on us, and they, you know, had a film crew and the whole thing. That it just happened organically. They had seen it and they they were interested in the brand and they said, "Hey, we, we want to do something." So, um, PR has always been something that's been very a challenging nut for us to crack. And um, we've gone through kind of waves of trying to put energy into it, um, but it's a it's a real like black hole where you can you can spend a lot of time and resources and it just doesn't pan out. So. Mm-hmm especially in the last couple of years, we've sort of just stopped paying attention to it. And we, we focus more on like, let's just make really awesome products. Let's take really good care of our customers and, and let's work and, you know, work very authentically in our mission. And, you know, PR will come um, if it comes and if it doesn't, that's okay. We don't need it. So um, it's something that I'm sure there's better practices than what we're doing. um, But that's sort of how we approach it right now. Yeah, so it's it's you know it's not your main channel, but it's a nice extra, right? And after being in these uh, newspapers or, or journals, uh, could you see a spike in your sales, or or it's less direct than that? What could you experience? In general, we've seen very little correlation between PR wins and moving the needle on sales. There's there's one exception, I would say. And it's, it's debatable, you call it PR, 
but yeah, for all of like the publications and, you know, like the Bloomberg feature, I think primarily what it does is it's very validating for the brand. So it's sort of like when people hear about the brand and they see like, oh, you're in these publications, it makes you feel it seem more like legitimate and that it's not one of these, you know, just kind of odd BS brands on the Internet. Um, so I think that's the main thing it does, but it really doesn't for us, it doesn't really, or hasn't really moved the needle on sales, um, except for it was back in like 2016 or 15 or it was a while ago. Um, we were on shark tank, not as we weren't actually like pitching. They were doing a special edition, um, to raise awareness about shark conservation. And so they brought in four or five nonprofits and the nonprofits were competing for, uh, a donation from one of the sharks and the sharks themselves were pitching each other on which nonprofit should get the funding. And Barbara Corcoran was representing the shark research and conservation lab at the university of Miami, who we fund through some of our, our tiger shark and our nurse shark products. Mm -hmm. And in the show, our products got featured and Barbara Corcoran was like, what are these? And then, and they were like, Oh, this is like, we work with this company and they, they help fund our research. And then she sort of brought it up in the pitch just organically. And they were like, Oh, that's really cool. And we got like a huge flux of people to our website in the next 24 hours. Um, but that, you know, shark tanks pretty unique. Um, but besides that, um, most of the, our PR wins, yeah, I don't, I haven't really done much. Which is surprising to me. I kind of thought, oh, we're going to be on Bloomberg or have some article in a big paper. We're going to just blow up, but it hasn't really happened. Yeah, I think Shark Tank. Uh, I, so far, I've had uh, three or four entrepreneurs whose company were in a Shark Tank, and that's probably the best place for an entrepreneur with an e-commerce store because it's a huge audience, it's a mainstream audience, and uh, still they they are relevant audience. I think in PR, um, because I could experience the same with my own marketing agency, the most important thing is, is not the, you know, the volume of viewers or, or the audience, but more the relevance. So, yeah, yeah, um, you know, you can, you can talk to, I don't know, 5,000 people or, or even 500 people only in a webinar or something, but if they are hot leads, they are highly targeted, that's great. And if you get into a mainstream channel, but they are, I don't know, just average people from everywhere, then uh, you won't see that spike. And I think people, they really undervalue this, that uh, relevancy is, is key. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a similar kind of metaphor with like your online paid ads, like, and you think about yeah. your funnel and in your marketing as well. Yeah, yeah. At the at the top of the funnel, it's not going to be quite as efficient. Um, yeah, so it's the same thing with PR. If you know, we're we're trying to target a very specific type of person, a general mm -hmm. article isn't going to, you know, it might it might engage a lot of people, but very few of them are going to be like our hardcore, um, yeah. you know, perfect customers. So that's a really good point. Yeah. So when I go to your homepage, I can see your community. There are many great images. And, you know, when you take photos of, uh, of sea life, that will be beautiful for sure. The colors and, and everything, happy people. I'm curious, what, uh, what integration do you use for this? How, how did you put them on the website? Looks yeah, nice. so, yeah, we use a, a kind of a UGC management tool called 460. Um, mm -hmm. and it, it works really great. It allows us to engage with our customers and request like permission to, to feature their, their UGC. 
uh, user generated content for those who aren't familiar um, on our website. And it's a, it's a really nice, uh, a really nice system that it makes it a lot faster and to, to manage it. And we have really amazing customers. Um, you know, we very rarely um, have to shoot our own, you know, lifestyle imagery, our customers sort of provide that for us, um, which is a, an amazing gift. And we, and, and it, we like seeing, you know, at the end of the day, our products are about empowering, you know, our, our community to get out there, to live an adventurous life, to engage with people, to be passionate about the ocean. And uh, they show us what the experience. And we have a lot of uh, researchers, a lot of grad students, a lot of people that work at USGS or, or NOAA, or these federal agencies in, in the U.S. that protect the environment. EPA. Uh, we have a lot of people that that are uh, customers that are working um, professionally on these issues, and then they, you know, they tag us in photos when they're out, you know, studying a species or collecting data. Um, and for us, as you know, we're scientists by by training. It that really means a lot to us. And uh, 460 is a, a great tool to kind of incorporate that into your website, and it happens kind of live. So. As we get approval on things, they'll immediately go up on the website, and then our customers get really excited. They're like, look, I'm on the homepage, and uh, that's super cool. And it, it just sort of feeds itself, and you know, more people tag us, and it helps build community. And our customers connect with each other, and 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 connect with other like-minded people that really care deeply about the ocean. Yeah, I think that's great, especially nowadays when UGC is so important, and uh, you know, media buyers they constantly talk about how UGC is the best performing uh, ads, um, you know, for many of their clients. So that's great if you have these and, and if it's organic, so you don't really have to push people to provide that uh, user-generated yeah. content. And it, I would say it's authentic too. Um, mm -hmm. We get a lot of, we get a lot of requests from uh, influencers to, to like work and do these paid collaborations and, I know influencers have a lot of value and there's there's a lot of merit to working with them, but it, it's just something that we have decided not to do. And ultimately, the kind of the reason we do that is that, you know, when a customer buys our product and they buy it for full price, because, you know, we actually don't ever run sales, we never have any discounts. So everyone pays the same price. And they when they buy the product, they use it, and then they post about it. There's something extremely authentic about that when they say, hey, I like this thing so much that I'm willing to go on the internet and tag you and show you versus, you know, if we pay an influencer to go on some trip and snap a bunch of photos and then, you know, what does that really mean? Like, did they really like it or are they just doing it because this is their business? And so from an authentic authenticity and candidness sort of perspective, we feel like UGC is, is way better than going, uh, going the influencer route. And we just happen to be incredibly privileged and um, by our amazing community of customers that they bestow upon us so much amazing UGC. And we're, we're deeply appreciative of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my last question to you today, Patrick, so what would be your number one advice to other e-commerce business owners, especially those who, let's say, someone who just recently launched a eco-friendly company, maybe clothing wear, um, yeah, clothing line or, or something else, but, but eco-friendly. And that's what they really want to show to the world. I'd say the biggest piece of advice would be is, is really like chasing down authenticity. Um, it's, it's so important that you deeply, deeply believe in what you're doing. Um, it, it can't be like an afterthought. So I think if, 
if your if your primary interest is to run a business and sort of attach an environmental friendly kind of skew to it, you know, perspective to it, that's going to come through. And people are very smart and they can they can sniff out when something um, is not sort of your primary focus. So I think it's really, really important to, you know, if you, whatever your mission is, whether it's that you want to, you know, you want to fix the apparel industry and you want to make it more environmentally friendly, um, make that center of everything that you do. Make sure every decision, everything you do within the business is centered around that mission. Um, and I'd say once we we went through a process, we had been in business for a while, but we didn't really have a very succinct and defined mission statement, which sounds like really boring, like mission statements. But and we didn't have like really defined like values. And so, you know, we started reading lots of different books. Um, there's a there's one book in particular um, that I really what's it called? Uh, Built Built to Last. So my over mm -hmm. my book Built to Last is a yeah. really great book. Um, and it has a lot of um, frameworks on how you can kind of craft mission statements and values and really bake them into the operations of your business. Is it, is it Jim Collins? Jim Collins. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Jim Collins's books. I highly recommend reading those. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of really good practical information. And once we sort of did that and really baked in our, our values and our purpose into everything that we do, um, every aspect of the business started running better and then also it comes through to the customer and then the, and it becomes a, a better experience for them so that would be i think it, we're having this green movement in the world right now where we're going from a generation where it was sort of like thinking about climate change and environmental conservation was like a couple people maybe talk about it but like the yeah. general public is sort of like eh. this the next generation it's a standard every you know being environmentally responsible is not special anymore it is it's required and so it's going to be more difficult for businesses to stand out in this environment um, and to stand out you're going to have to be really authentic be very genuine and and really put the work in to make sure your business is moving the needle on whatever cause that you you're you're pushing yeah that's a <clears throat> that's a great advice i think and we I think we will see that more, more and more brands they will focus on this in an in an authentic way, and probably I expect more niches to to emerge in the next few years. So there will be more and more specific areas. I think yours is already very specific, but uh, not just eco friendly. But it will be you know much more specific than that. They will directly tell their customers what they stand for. Maybe marine life. Maybe forests maybe you know something else agriculture um so so yeah um and that's that's the benefit i think of e-commerce is like i think if we look at what our parents or grandparents had to deal with with business it was much more difficult you kind of had to if you were to launch a business say 30 years ago you had to have a business that was sort of broad in its scope because it was very difficult for you to like I kind of like it's it's sort of a crude metaphor, but I it's sort of like fishing. Like our grand great grandparents had to like throw a big net out, and they would pull in all this stuff, all this marine life, right? And maybe they were like trying to fish for tuna, but they would catch all this other stuff like sea turtles and dolphins, and they didn't intend to. Yeah. E-commerce e to now now is more like spear fishing, in that you can go online and you can say like I'm running a business that advocates for leatherback sea turtles and that's the only thing i'm doing 
and you can go out and find everyone in the world that is like passionate about leatherback sea turtles and then you can bring them in so you can be very targeted in your business sort of like selective spearfishing um and that you know that's a tool that didn't exist before the internet yeah. and uh yeah. it, it's really amazing because it enables entrepreneurs and people starting businesses to engage with a very niche community all around the world which is which is incredibly exciting yeah yeah that i i fully agree on this and that's you know clearly we can thank this to technology that it's possible nowadays um thank you patrick for coming here today and sharing your story if anyone wants to find uh, patrick's uh, store go to waterlast.com we will put the link into the description and uh, stay tuned because every week we come out with a new podcast episode and we share the story of an e-commerce business founder and finally i will also put a link into the description that's a free 50 point checklist that everyone can use to audit their own email marketing so go down and check out those resources and waterlast.com and thanks a lot patrick and everyone and uh, stay tuned have a great day thanks daniel appreciate it